seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 98 of CBD Talk Podcast. Today we have a repeat interviewee, um, and I'm really excited to get him on because it's been a long, long time. We have so much to catch up on. And that would be Chris Dreesen. Now, last time we had Chris Dreesen on, he was with Organa Brands. And so we've got a little catching up to do there. So how about you <laughs> tell us what's what's been going on for the last, I don't know, three years or so? <laughs> yeah, it's been, a, it's, it's been a while, but great to be back, Don. And of course, thank you very much for having me. And uh, excited to talk to your listeners and your viewers here. So uh, I'm still with Organa Brands. Organa Brands has just been acquired and has become slang worldwide. So when we last talked, Organa Brands was very much a CPG-focused, brand-focused company. Uh, that hasn't changed. Uh, what has changed is that Slang Worldwide, a, a Canadian pub co, acquired Organa Brands and went public, subsequently went public in January of 2019. Uh, that allowed us access to capital and a whole different other, you know, uh, host of things. We've also, since then, uh, purchased plant touching companies in Colorado, in Oregon. Uh, we've gone into now we're into 16 markets, 14 states in uh, Canada and Puerto Rico. So uh, our little old cannabis company that could with its roots in Colorado has become something uh, much larger. And uh, now I'm very proud to say that I'm actually the CEO of the public company of Slang. Uh, and uh, and that's kind of the nutshell version. So we've been uh, we've been working hard since we last talked. So what are some of the brands that you have? Yeah, we have six brands. So the ones that were legacy Organa brands brands were Open uh, District Edibles, um, uh, uh, Pressies, and Baked. So our concentrate brand, our ingestible pill brand, our vape brand, and our edibles brand. Since then, we've acquired. Lunchbox Alchemy, which is a, a premium edibles brand out of uh, out of Bend, Oregon. Um, they also have a thriving CBD business, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, and then Firefly was part of the roll up and go public as well. And Firefly made an old, still does make an ultra premium dryer vaporizer, uh, and also more recently has gone into a disposable device called the Firefly Mini, um, which is a, is an ultra premium disposable. So nice. uh, six different brands and, um, you know, we're always looking for good brands to either develop, acquire, uh, things of that nature. And we want to win the CPG game. And gosh, that hasn't changed. We've been doing this since 2010. So yeah. uh, that, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same in some regard. Exactly. Exactly. And unfortunately, the same, the things stay the same because you're still a cowboy fan. <laughs> Well, good thing I'm not down in the basement. You'd see the jersey. Like man, like you said, the more things change, the more they say the same. You know, still haven't won a Super Bowl. Uh, still a mess, as you know. But, hey, uh, I'm, a, I'm a glutton for punishment and a loyal guy. So yeah. uh, I stick with my boys, but holy moly, it's painful. Yeah, sometimes it's really painful being, yeah. Oh, Lordy. Um, one of the things I want to mention to our um, viewers, so one of the things that we've never actually done before, and I'm just going to touch on it for a minute here, is we've never talked about investing in cannabis companies. And um, and, and sometimes it can be tricky. Uh, um, one of the things is that um, the cannabis brands are typically under the CSE, Canadian Stock Exchange. And so there are some companies that you can't buy these stocks through. Um, 
And I'm going to go ahead and give a shout out to, um, I know that um, some of the companies that you can do, I think it's Schwab, Ameritrade, um, any other ones you can off the top of your head? Yeah, there's a handful. And what you're referring to is the OTC version. As you mentioned, we are listed on the CSE. We are a Canadian uh, listed company. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's due to the federal illegality, you know, here in the United States. It's always been a real rub for me and I think a lot of the American operators that because Canada allows for federally legal cannabis businesses, a lot of those Canadian LPs and licensed producers are allowed to list on exchanges in the U.S. Well, and what a punch in the gut! Yeah, but that not some vice of the versa. Best, yeah, but not vice versa. And so it's a real punch in the gut for the American operators that, um, you know, in many cases uh, have thriving businesses, multi-billion-dollar market caps, multi-hundred-million-dollar market caps, um, that just don't have access into that market because of the lack of regulation. Uh, here federally. So, you know, hopefully those things are changing. You know, those tides obviously are turning. We'll see how far that goes. But that is a rub. But for, to answer your question directly, the way that, that folks can participate with companies like us is, is a lot of us are listed on the OTC. Um, and so you're able to buy that. Our OTC ticker is SLGWF. And as you mentioned, you can buy that on things like, uh, you know, talk to Chuck over at uh, with Schwab. You uh -huh. can buy it on TD Ameritrade. Pretty much anybody that allows you to participate in the OTC uh, markets is where you can find us. And that ticker is different because our ticker for uh, for our Canadian exchange is slng.cn. Uh, so slng. And then on the OTC, as I mentioned, it's slgwf. Um, so you certainly can participate in that way through your app or on your laptop or whatever the case may be. So it is possible. It just requires a you know a few extra hoops maybe that you wouldn't do with um, an American listed company. Yeah, so you might have to look around a little bit. I know it's not like on the Robin Hoods or the Weebles or things like that. Um, so just know well, based that on what's happened with Robin Hood in the last couple of weeks, maybe oh, that's a good thing. Isn't it? <laughs> You know, funny to watch the, the our Wall Street bets crew and how that all went down. So certainly there's been a lot of attention in the capital markets recently with yes. some of those short squeezes. Um, yeah. So I think it's just a matter of time before, of course, cannabis becomes more mainstream and more widely accessible, um, you know, just to, to, to the folks that are interested in participating in, in uh, you know, in the capital markets with cannabis stocks. So it'll be a good day when that happens. Yeah, and it'll also be a good day, you know, as each each state uh, you get another state on it, another state in it, another. So we just had New Jersey yesterday. Yep. I know Cole yep. was working on New York. Do you know of any other ones that are coming up? Yeah, there's a handful. You know, there's a lot of activity. We recently announced a partnership with Merida Capital that puts us into two. We call it an emerging market. Emerging markets for us mean a place where we're partnering with a licensed entity to bring our brands to market. Mm -hmm. A core market means we're doing all of that ourselves, whether it's cultivate, process, manufacture, distribute, et cetera. We do all those things ourselves in a core market and an emerging market. We develop a strategic partnership to do that with somebody. Well, Merida, the Merida deal that we announced a couple of weeks ago allows us to get into two new emerging markets uh, in Missouri and the other one's Virginia. Virginia, uh, it seemingly is on the fast track to uh, to legalization and uh, being pushed through. We'll see if it gets across the finish line. But you've got a lot of talk. You know, I mean, gosh, there's even some some places that you wouldn't think that that's happening. Whether uh, New Mexico, there's even some dust up recently in my home state of Texas, which 
I think it's probably a Hail Mary of a chance. I was going to say, hold on there. <laughs> I, well, hey, I, I'm not holding my breath, but there is talk. So we'll see where it goes. But the point is you're having these conversations really in places all over the country. And just think back to our last election cycle, uh, places South Dakota, Mississippi. You know, these are not traditional progressive strongholds. I mean, South Dakota said, to heck with the noise. We're going to jump straight into adult use. Yeah. Now, the governor there is trying to defy the will of the people, which I don't know how good, uh, you know, a political decision that is. Yeah. Uh, and then Mississippi, kind of the same thing. But the, again, these are places that are saying, hey, we see the value and the benefit of cannabis. Uh, and it's clear, you know, if you look at the polling data, almost 70 percent of the country supports adult use. Uh, it's like 94, 96 percent that support medical use. I mean, outside of maybe puppy dogs and ice cream cones, I don't know what has that level of approval rating. So you would assume that politicians are going to latch onto that. Uh, in addition to, look, if you just look at all the data of some of these states, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, et cetera, it all supports that it's it's a great boom for tax revenue, which obviously has taken a hit in the COVID era. Uh, and all the bad things that were going to happen you know, from the naysayers just to prove them to not be true. So I think it's getting tougher and tougher to have uh, an opposing opinion to to legalization and certainly to the proliferation of of medical cannabis. It's just I, I, your your argument's just false. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know it. We still have a a bit of a a road to travel when it comes to working with um, you know physicians and things like that. Although more getting on board, but yeah. it's just personal experience. It doesn't seem to be as much of a a shock anymore. Um, by t- talking to your doctor about it, you know, when, when no, you fill out no, that form, no you're getting what, what you take and stuff, and then they're like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, my dad just had his had his third, I don't know, multiple knee replacements, and um, uh, has just had a lot of complications with those things, and so uh, one of the things that keeps popping up uh, when he talks to them, and they've recently moved here from Texas, and uh, his doctors have actually been very supportive. They said, look, you know, it's a great kind of holistic uh, uh, method to pain, you know, to managing your pain. Um, so, man, and he's 71, 72. So if he's able to have that conversation and, and, and with a straight face and a physician is able to do the same, man, what a long way we've come. Exactly. Uh, obviously still quite a long way to go, but uh, there's no doubt that cannabis is becoming part of people's daily lives in many cases. You know, I'm here in suburban Denver, and it's super common at the, you know, the neighborhood barbecue or the kids' birthday party or just getting together with friends on the weekend for, you know, there's one less scotch or one less bourbon or one less, you know, glass of pinot. Uh, and a lot of those things, frankly, have been replaced in pretty regular occurrence with uh, a gummy, a vape pen, a pre-roll, something of that nature. And that's down here in a place where, you know, that's that's pretty conservative. Uh, a little bit older demographic, you know, we're all kind of middle-aged, having kids, doing those things. So you're not talking about the downtown hipster set that that, that right. anymore, you know, the tentacles of cannabis are wide-reaching. And I think people, with the reduction in that stigma, people are coming to the realization that, hey, wait a second, you know, this has very little or any calories, has almost no side effects. I feel fine the next morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just become part of people's either daily maintenance routine Oh, there you are. There you are. Okay. I lost you for a minute there. I hear you. Okay. And I see me. <laughs> okay. We're back. Okay. Um, so you have now just gotten into the CB- CBD side of things. So 
why did you jump into CBD? I mean, you've been doing the THC side for so long. Uh, you know, what, what made you want to jump in on that side? Yeah, it was a couple things. You know, we got into CBD. We really did CBD as Organa brands way back when, and we were just a little too early to the game. Um, you know, we we it wasn't as widespread yet. There wasn't as much clarity around the the rules, the regulations, the the production of how it all needed to happen. Um, so we ultimately jettisoned that initiative years ago. Um, now we we moved forward with our acquisition of Lunchbox Alchemy, again a premium edibles manufacturer in Bend, Oregon. Um, and they had a thriving CBD business. They're in, you know, 40, maybe even up to 50 states by now, 600 plus stores um, with their CBD products. And so what that allows for uh, is us to, to be able to go into markets where cannabis may not be legal yet from a THC perspective. So being able to um, you know, uh, uh, market in a more mainstream way, being able to go into markets where THC is not permissible yet, almost acts as a Trojan horse for our brands for us to be able to get in, start driving brand awareness, brand loyalty. So inevitably THC does catch up. Um, we're able to, you know, obviously pounce on that opportunity. And most recently, we've developed and launched our e-commerce online platform for CBD, lunchboxalchemycbd.com, for those that are interested in checking it out. But you can get these gummies directly from us, you know, lab tested, full spectrum, functionally enhanced. They're delicious. They're vegan. They're, you know, all these great things that you would expect from a premium brand out of Bend, Oregon. Um, and, uh, and it's been great. You know, the business reason we've done that again, as I mentioned, it allows you to go places that you can't go with THC, but more importantly, the e-commerce platform allows us to, to capture margins up to 75%. So it's a great opportunity for us as a business to, uh, capture additional profit, great opportunity for us to basically walk hand in hand with the consumer on their journey into new products and ultimately into our THC products when, when regulation and time allows. So we're really excited about CBD. It's one of our biggest opportunities this year. It's nice that you can, you know, also help the entire family that way too, because, you know, there, there are a lot of, a lot of parents obviously on the THC side that would like to like their kids to be able to benefit from the cannabinoids as well. So CBD is a great way to do that. Yeah, you know, look, you know, as far as kids and cannabis, that's always a decision between, a, you know, a patient, and your doctor and those kind of things. And yeah. so obviously, fully recommend that you that you seek out medical uh, advice there. But we, look, we get this a lot from the adults, you know, take the kids out of it that, uh, hey, look, I got to go to work. I got this to do. I can't be inebriated or I can't feel, you know, different in any way. Um, and CBD allows you maybe just to take the edge off a little bit, a little bit of a, uh, a break from maybe some anxiety, some stress, maybe it helps you sleep a little better. You know, there's a whole multitude of benefits that CBD products allow for, particularly full-spectrum products. Oh, yeah. And we're happy to be able to provide those benefits to our consumers. And there's such a, there's almost a cult following with Lunchbox. It's been around so long in Oregon, but you know, some of the places you can find these products and you wouldn't expect they're more mainstream stores. And so now we're developing that following in places like Florida, places like Texas, where, you know, in Texas, we have no THC brands down there, right. but it's great because we get a lot of consumer feedback that, oh my God, I love these gummies. They help me do this or they help me relax or, you know, I really love the taste, whatever the case is. 
Well, that's a great candidate for when in, when when Texas finally does allow for the commercialization of THC products. Hey, we'll be right there. And there's already a brand association awareness and loyalty uh, for some of our products. So CBD is great for that. In addition to all the benefits that you know are pretty well known. Now you have a lot of different brands, and but one and one of the things that we talk about a lot is um, you know the COAs. So so how do you, how how do you make sure that your brands are, uh, you know, uh, doing all the testing, providing all the information to the customers, and making sure that that what you say is in a product is actually in a product? Absolutely. Look, I mean, there's 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 a few different facets to unpack there, but first and foremost is um, this is what we would want for ourselves. This is what we would want for our own. Uh, families for our own consumption habits. You have a right to know as a consumer just what the heck is going into your body. It is incumbent on these companies to provide you that information. Companies that aren't testing their products, which obviously is more prevalent in the CBD side of things, be suspicious. You deserve to know what you are putting into your body. So that's something we've always done. Look, on the THC side, it's highly regulated and has been now for years and years and years. So you're forced to do this via regulation. We did it before you were forced to do it. We believe in truth in advertising. We believe in truth in labeling. We believe you have a right to know what's going into your bodies. So even in places where that's not required, aka CBD, there's QR codes on every bottle of Lunchbox Alchemy product sold that you can go and trace back to all those things. Where did the extract come from? Where's the hemp from? It's all made in Oregon, so you can see specifically what that is. Uh, but you bet everything we do is tested. Consumer safety is absolutely our first priority, uh, not only because we want to take care of you, the consumer. We ourselves are consumers. So, of course, we want to put the highest quality product into our own bodies. And whether it's myself or any of the rest of the, you know, 100 plus people that are working at Slang, we are consumers of these products. So we want this for ourselves just as much as we want it for you. Uh, so big believers in, in all things testing. Um, and the reality is that's how you know what the dose is. That's how you know you're getting what you paid for. That's how you know it's safe. Um, so that's, that's just part of who we are as a company. It's part of our DNA. As a manufacturer, how hard is it for you to have um, uh, the consistency? Since, I mean, this is when you have hemp plants and cannabis plants, I mean, there there's different strains, there's, you know, this, that, and the other, and different percentages and, and all that. How do you manage keeping that consistency in your products? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, look, as a product-focused, brand-focused company, our, 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 you know, one of our biggest goals, one of our holy grails is repeatability and experience. Yes. If you go to Portland, Oregon or Portland, Maine, and you get one of our products, by the way, obviously they're available in both places. I want you to have the same experience. If you were at a bachelorette party in Vegas and tried our gummies, and now you're with your family in Breckenridge going skiing and you see the same product, you, you've got an idea of what's in your mind. What did, how did it make me feel in Vegas? I'm trying to recreate that same experience now in Colorado. And the way that we do that, and one of the real you know, foundations of our company is proven process, right? You, you're dead right in your assumption that 
uh, the cannabis plant's highly variable, you know, whether it's the climate, the soil, the nutrient regimen, a whole host of different variables uh, obviously affect the, the, the outcome. So what we are doing, and, and it's a lot of chemistry and science and math, basically, that is able to deconstruct the plant in many ways, whether that's through extraction, formulation, processing techniques, et cetera, that we have a very rigid SOP. We have proven processes that are going to lead us roughly to the same place. And then we have pretty strict quality standards that these products are going to outside of just testing. Yeah, of course, testing is going to tell you if the product's clean. It's going to tell you what the dose is, but that doesn't tell you the whole story. So it's really being thoughtful and just being fanatical about, is the word fanatical? Being fanatics about just rigid, rigid, rigid process. There can be no deviation because there's natural variability in the plant just, just as it is. Yeah. So we do our best to eliminate those things really with science and process. I know, um, or at least I believe on the CBD side that um, you're able to transport uh, hemp grown from one state to another now. Have they right. gotten to that point on the THC side? God, no, <laughs> not even sort of, yeah. uh, you know, as I mentioned, we've got 16 different markets uh, that we operate in and, uh, you know, operate or have partnerships in uh, for the THC side. Absolutely not. That is a, a that is a uh, that is a big no, no. And of course, something we never do. Uh, man, it'd be a lot nicer if we could, you know, think about that, that there's a lab in uh, Burlington, Vermont, that's doing something similarly as a lab in Sacramento, California. Mm-hmm. Those two markets could not be more different, could not have more different rules, taxes, all the stuff. So that's really one of the, the big hurdles we have to overcome and any of the other multi-state operators have to overcome as to how are you recreating things in all different markets that are different size, shape, consumption habits, price points. You know, think about this, what sells for $90 in Vermont in uh, Oregon sells for less than 20 so how are you making those things? How are you accommodating those margins? So there's a there's a science aspect that goes into how are we creating things with consistency? How are they balanced? How are they safe? And then there's a whole business aspect of how are you how are you making sure your company's staying solvent and growing and delivering profit uh, as every shareholder expects us to build value. So certainly that's a piece of it, but it's uh, uh, that's a lot easier to do as you mentioned on the CBD side than the THC side. Now, that being said, I'll tell you that all the hemp that we source, uh, all the inputs that we use for our CBD products all come out of Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, our CBD gummies are made in Bend, Oregon. Uh, so I always love to give Bend the plug. Bend's really one of the great towns in America. It's beautiful. Uh, but it also has a culture of being uh, organically focused, you know, a lot of vegan opportunities there. So the point being is, that, you know, we're very proud to call Bend home, or at least our Oregon home, and it is absolutely our CBD home. Um, and look, Oregon hemp is great. Oregon flower is great in general. Like a lot of people say, oh, the Emerald Triangle, and look, there's great, great, obviously, cannabis down in California too. Uh, but for me, Oregon grows some of the best cannabis in the country, whether that's on the hemp side or the THC side. So, uh, very, very proud to have those ingredients in our products uh, that are made right there in Bend. What do you see? Okay, because I'm just flat out sure that I know coming around the Bend at some point in time, whether it's two years or five years, hopefully not more than five, year, five years, that we will have full federal approval. That's that's just me saying that, you know. Um, 
when that happens, how do you think that's going to affect slang? Yeah, I think it actually has a really good positive catalyst for, for public companies in particular, but certainly companies like, like slang for, for a few reasons. First and foremost, I agree. I think everybody agrees that at some point, it's just a matter of time uh, before this comes to be. Now, the big question is, is that a month? Is that a year? Is that a decade? You know, we don't know. You know, nothing in politics seems to happen very fast, so I'm not holding my breath. But at the same time, you want to be aware of where the puck is going. Uh, and we know it is going there at some point. So the way that I think that really uh, shakes out for companies like Slang, I think it's a massive benefit, right? You know, when you look at all the handicaps that are on cannabis companies now, whether it's Section 280E and just the draconian tax laws that yes. we're subject to, uh, if it's the interstate commerce issue you just talked about, do I really need 16 labs across the country of all different shapes and sizes and the capital expense that comes along with those? Or do you need two or three regional labs, uh, ideally in agricultural production zones like Southern Oregon, hint, hint, uh, <laughs> that you know, you're able to produce that, that product uh, in much larger volumes and then just simply ship it to other places. So I, I, I think for a company like ours that has, you know, look, we have products in over 2,200 retail outlets. So having to recreate that in each little state or each little market is a headache and costs an incredible amount of money, excess money and overhead, things like logistics, labor, uh, et cetera, you know, it doesn't make sense to put automation solutions in some of these smaller markets, but you would even put, you would double down on the investment into those things if you were producing it in one or two places yes. across the country. So we're in a very enviable position as slang for a couple of reasons. One, we are already in all of these markets and that number is growing all the time. Two, we enter into those markets in a very capital light way. So we're typically partnering with somebody else, a strategic partner, as we call them, uh, to enter into an emerging market. So I'm not having to outlay huge capital expense to go into a new market. You know, we talked about our deal with Merida and going into Virginia and Missouri. Um, we're being paid to go into those markets, not paying to go into those markets. So a little bit of a, a different approach than, than the traditional MSOs that are out there. But what that allows for, you know, if I'm uh, a traditional MSO and I'm raising hundreds of millions of dollars to go into a specific state, do I really need that post-legalization? Am I really going to grow in every little state that I'm in? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to do that in some larger regional facilities and then simply ship products? Well, I'd tell you, it's probably the latter. So we're very prepared for that now frankly. Um, and what that does is, is, and what I think investors have to look forward to with us is, hey, removing any of those handicaps, taxes, interstate commerce, uh, things like DNO insurance that you didn't think about a lot, your directors and officers insurance is insanely high right now for, for publicly traded cannabis companies. And it's just because it's still very avant-garde. It's very new. So as more people come into the game, then obviously you would expect the pricing and things like that to go down. And a lot of these businesses are thriving, much like slang, are thriving now. You know, remove some of those headwinds, you know, uh, from the equation and they become even a more attractive business. Um, slang is well positioned for that because we haven't had to outlay a ton of capital to go into these markets, but yet our products can still be found there. So we very much welcome and look forward to that day. Um, you know, but as we mentioned when we started this, this question is, 
how long is that? You know, is that again, next week, next month, next year, next decade. But I'll tell you when the time comes, we'll be there. We'll be ready. Well, you've been doing this already for over a decade. What have you found um, with um, being able to get, um, you know, get the cannabis and the, and the hemp with so many more people in the industry now? Is there is there a supply and demand problem at all yet? Do you think that's uh, do you see us when this goes legal, federally legal? Do you see any problems, you know, coming up with with um, not having enough plant? It really depends on where you're at. You know, uh, it's funny to me, you know, we've done this so long and in so many different markets now that you've kind of seen the same. Uh, narrative unfold regardless of which place it is you know is it limited license is it open license you know does it go medical first or or you know are they like south dakota they jump straight into adult use and largely everybody travels down the same timeline has the same journey in their respective state or provincial market up in canada and they're just different places on the timeline depending on when they started you know almost always the medical program you know, you have the kind of the early adopters, the people that are really into cannabis or really sick move into that first and yeah. they want how strong, how cheap. I mean, that mm-hmm. almost always is the MO of a, of a new medical market. In a limited license market, you're absolutely going to pay a premium for your cannabis that, that because it's a limited license, there is constricted supply. You know, long term, I don't see supply chain issues. You certainly see those in a place like Michigan. You know, they rip the caregivers out of the system and immediately send shockwaves through the supply chain there. In a limited license market, you're totally incumbent on the MSOs that are there to build enough to satiate the demand. Um, And that's always an evolving conversation. But you got to think that. You know, think about a, um, a Philip Morris, for example, you know, or a Molson Coors with their hops or their tobacco. There is huge agriculture, uh, both here and in Canada, that has the ability very quickly to change to a different cash crop. So this is really one of the, the things that, that we think slang has a great advantage in. If I'm Philip Morris, and, and I'm, and I'm t- this is complete speculation, so read nothing into this, but if I'm Philip Morris and I want to come and make an acquisition in the cannabis industry, much like Constellation did with our partners Canopy up in, uh, up in Canada a few years ago, is the thing that's going to be really attractive to me, hey, I've got a big quarter million square foot grow in Denver, or no, I'm putting out a billion servings a year in cannabis with my name on it. Because the infrastructure they already have, that's not attractive to them. Mm-hmm. They already know what distribution looks like. They're already in you know, millions of points of distribution around the world with their cigarettes. What they're looking for is market share. What they're looking for is, is, is brand affinity and loyalty for somebody that says, hey, a brand that has this name on it that's become my vape pen of choice like Oakpen that's of interest to me. I've got the ability to take that show on the road and globally when it allows for it. So, you know, having a big grow or having a big lab is not, in our opinion, what's going to get them excited. Having big market share, having big amount of consume, big amounts of consumers saying, I picked that one, that's a value and that's what you pay a higher multiple for. So look, that's really the thesis that Slang was founded on and its predecessor, Organa Brands, before that. 
we've been preaching brands CPG for over a decade. And it's funny because now that's become kind of the in vogue or the fashionable thing to say in cannabis. Ah, where, you know, if you'll recall a couple of years ago, the MSO said there are no national brands. <laughs> we're the, we, you know, we're the only people that these products, we're going to dictate what products are in our shelves. And that's cool. But the largest MSO in the country has less than 200 stores where, where, you know, that they, has their name on them where they can dictate what goes into them. We're in over 2,000, 2,200 something. And that's the so, thing. It's like you said before, if you're at a bachelorette party in Vegas and there's a specific gummy you like, you want to be able to get That's that. the one I want. Right. Yeah. I want to find that wherever it is, wherever I call home or yeah. where I go to the beach or where I go skiing or whatever the case may be. Fly to freaking Vegas. Try to bring stuff home illegally, you know, depending yeah, on the that. Just need to, we're everywhere, so just get it there. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why brand is important. And and that distribution right. is important. Um, so and, and not, brand travels, you know, that's the yeah. other thing I would tell you is that, you know, that's why we can enter into these capital market or these new markets in a very capital light way is because I can take the brand show on the road. Yeah. It's real tough to take the grow show on the road because mm-hmm. we've got to recreate that somewhere else. And it's all dependent on the genetics, the infrastructure, the leadership, the talent, et cetera, brand travels. But you're not, so you're not worried when, when things completely open up about um about having enough plant material so because like you said you can you know um farmers can pivot and it's it's not that difficult of a of a thing to grow um right and and so it is called weed after all exactly now it's not hard to grow cannabis it's extremely difficult to grow good cannabis yes so you know and i i for all my grower friends out there i've got two or three people in my mind that if, if i hadn't put that qualifier out there i'm probably going to be getting a nasty gram oh yeah like, oh yeah once they see this podcast but so it, it is it is absolutely an art and a skill well, and to sure grow really high quality strains that you use and and all that you know i mean be, because you have to have that consistency so, yeah. Well, you said, look, are we worried about having enough yeah. plant material once there's federal legalization? No. I do think there are threats that that do present themselves, you know, and talk about the Phyllis and Phil Morris example again. Uh, does it make sense for them to come in and inquire, you know, a company like us? Or do they say, eh, we'll take it from here, little cannabis companies. Um, you know, thanks for playing, but now the big boys are here. I think there's some concern from that around the industry. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, slang looks forward to Come on with it. You know, look, I know what we do. I know how many places we're in. I know how many units we're selling. That's absolutely attractive for somebody. You know, why try to recreate what we've done over 11 years when for us, the market caps, the valuations that you're talking about with these kinds of companies for a company the size of Philip Morris or Altria or Constellation, et cetera, this is a rounding error in the grand scheme of things. Not exactly. a rounding error, but it's a, no, but it's I, a I minor you. acquisition mm-hmm. when basically you can buy all those things. So we know what we do. We know what our, 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 our measures of success are, and we know how we're progressing against those. So, look, we're very much into you know that and support full federal legalization uh, when it comes. Now, obviously, we'll see what the terms are that come along with sure. that. Um, but, man, that's not something that, that we're shying away from at all. That's very awesome. Oh, it's a long time coming. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so uh, what are some things that you might be anticipating seeing in the next few years in the industry? 
Yeah, a few things. I mean, you're already starting to see this, but first and foremost is consolidation. You know, this cannabis industry, this game we all play is not for the faint of heart. So if you don't have access to capital, if you don't have a good strategic plan, if you don't have a team that's able to execute against that strategic plan, uh, man, go find a different game to play because you will get exposed and you will get pushed under. Uh, you're seeing this a lot. You know, Oklahoma is a great example of this. They had such widespread access I mean, there's 1,700 dispensaries. There's, you know, however many, the thousand plus growers and this, that, and the other for a state that's got about 3 million in population. Uh, it's, it, it, it just doesn't all work. So it's tremendous for the patient and that it gives you widespread access, you know, which is, which is great. It's tremendous for the competition because only the strong are going to survive there. Uh, unfortunately, it's bad news for you know, every mom and pop that had $10,000 in a dream and said, I'm going to jump in the cannabis game or, hey, I've got a really nice garden, you know, on my ranch. I'm going to start growing weed and uh, that's going to be my family business. Those days have come and gone. You know, we talk about it a lot. You know, I hear people say, oh, I want to invest in the green rush. I mean, we're in the middle of the green flush. So certainly there's 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 haves and have nots. And that number is being, you know, those groups are being separated by a wider margin more than ever. Um, but I would expect more consolidation to come. I would expect a lot more uh, institutional investors as things start to fall out, particularly down in the U.S. You know, you're going to talk about big boy dollars that are starting to come into this space, which largely have only been present in Canada because of their federal legality. Um, you know, so that's the big next big thing that's going to happen in cannabis, in my opinion, is. Um, you know, institutional money starting to flow into U.S. cannabis companies, uh, which is just going to make them, you know, categorically different than they are today. And you already have some companies, folks like TrueLeave and others, that have, you know, multi-billion-dollar market caps with all these handicaps around taxes, with being federally illegal, uh, and without access to some of that institutional money that may be available in Canada. So the game's about to change. And uh, if you're not prepared for that change, it's going to get a lot tougher, you know, for the smaller guys, unfortunately. Do you see an area where um, it might be similar to like the craft beer scene where there might be some opportunity for craft cannabis kind of companies or, or um, like areas like, you know, like Fort Collins, Colorado has a, a bunch <laughs> of, you know, craft breweries and stuff or, you know, something yeah. like that. They've also got some of our best dispensary partners. So shout out to Organic Alternatives up there. We actually just put billboards up in Old Town Fort Collins. Uh, so uh, you know they got a great they got a great cannabis scene up there as well. In addition to to craft beer, I'll tell you the big difference. I don't think it's going to be the same. Now that's not to say that there's not always going to be demand for ultra high quality cannabis. Mm -hmm. Everybody likes to smoke good weed, so there will always be the ability, the demand from a consumer for really high quality cannabis. And I don't think that's ever going to change. Uh, what's the big difference between it? I was just talking, we've actually got a gentleman that's one of our directors on our board uh, who runs one of the largest uh, craft brewing organizations in the country, a group called Canarchy. Um, and uh, um, yeah, anyway, long story short, the big difference there is you already have a lot of these companies that have already gone public. You know, the little mom and pop craft brewers that now may, may now be something bigger, uh, Oscar Blues, New Belgium Brewing, Deep Ellum, Cigar City, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they weren't public way back when, so they didn't have the same access to capital. And you're now seeing some roll-up plays 
But what happened with the really large brewers, the Coors, the Budweiser's, et cetera, AB InBev, Molson Coors, you know, they started losing market share to the little guys. So they went out and bought the little guys, oh. you know, basically buying back that market share. And the big difference was the microbrewing guys didn't have the same access to capital. They weren't publicly traded. They didn't have the same liquidity. So I think that in some ways there's some parallels there, but in some ways there's not because the cannabis industry has grown so fast. I mean, gosh, just think in the last 10 years, we went basically from being almost exclusively illicit market to now the combined market cap of all the Canadian and American pubcos is tens and tens and tens, maybe hundreds of billions of dollars in the in the span of a decade. Like that's just that's unheard of. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a lot more akin to maybe technology in some ways. And, and look, there's certainly some parallels to microbrewing and craft brewing. Uh, like I said, good weed never goes out of style. That's what everybody, you know, in some regards wants, provided they can afford it. Um, uh, so I think the demand will always be there, but I don't think it's going to progress and proliferate in the same way. Uh, and it's because of the, you know, the injection of capital and the ability to provide liquidity via capital markets. Mm -hmm. All right. Any final words of recent wisdom? To <laughs> oh damn it, cowboys! No, that's <laughs> that. You said wisdom. That's not wise to uh, uh, to, to hope for those guys. Uh, you know, I, I I think look the biggest things for slang. What I can tell you are are you know we've got really exciting things coming up for us. E-commerce, CBD is is a big one. You know, we're making acquisitions that have now turned us into a plant touching company. So that gives us you know a tremendous amount of growth to expect by way of both revenue and profit. And obviously the associated value that comes with those things. You know, we're going to be moving into, into flower over the next year. It's the one category that we've been conspicuously absent from, and we are actively going to be bringing forth the flower initiative to go get our, our piece of that pie. Um, you know, we're expanding markets. You know, we're, we're working with the, literally the who's who uh, of operators, whether that's Truly, whether that's Canopy, whether that's Gage, Natura, you know, some of these different guys. Uh, in their respective markets. And so brand has become very much in vogue and we are the brand guys in cannabis and girls, I should say. Uh, and uh, we're the brand people. So that's what we've done. That's what we've always done. That's what we're really good at. So making products and moving those things through the market, um, you know, has now become very fashionable in cannabis. And that's what we've done all along. So if you're taking a look at slang, there's really a lot of things to be excited about, uh, both financially you know, stock market things. And then just as a company, you know, the success and progress that we're making, something I'm extremely proud of and something our entire team has worked very hard, um, you know, to build. And uh, and we've done that. So the biggest thing for us is to continue to build a legacy that's built on branded products, proven processes, and strong partnerships. That's what we're about. That's a, a great plan. <laughs> I appreciate it. Now I ain't nothing to it but to do it. So that's what we're uh, that's what we're focused on. Well, I am. I'm going to put in the um, show notes a link to an interview that you did last. I believe it was October with the is a the CSC Exchange podcast. Um, yeah, Barrington. He was great, and that was a really fun interview. So I love uh, yeah. I love that he and I he and I jabbed well. That was a great one. And then also your um your the link to your CBD um lunchbox site. Yeah, lunchboxalchemycbd.com. Yes. Love it. 
So I will get those both in there. And so, you know, I, I know this has been a very different episode because we're talking about more about business and stuff like that, but there, there's really a lot to, for people to be able to understand that this isn't, you know, uh, backyard sales stuff that, that cannabis is, is big business now. And, and, um, and I, I do believe that it is a great opportunity. This is just me personally talking that it's a great opportunity, a great time to be buying cannabis stocks. And um, because when the time comes, when it's federally legal and those doors fly open, we don't know what may happen to that stock price. And um, sliding is a is seriously great buy right now. <laughs> Appreciate that, Don. Man, she's a smart lady. All right, yeah, listen to her. But thank you very much, Don. I appreciate those kind words. Well, you're very, very welcome. And I know that my IRA is going to be having some of it in it. <laughs> because that's the thing, is I'm going to put it in, you know, as a Roth so that I'm paying taxes on it now. So should things get Grow tax free in that Roth account. Exactly. That's the Roth. <laughs> I'd rather pay taxes on the price of it now than what it's going to be. In my opinion, so um, well, thanks again for coming on. Um, best wishes to you and yours, and um, we'll, maybe we'll catch up with you again, and hopefully not three years from now. But we'll see yes. what's coming. Can't, up. <laughs> can't wait. Thank you again for the opportunity, and uh, always good to be here. Thank you. Thanks. All right, everybody, stay happy and stay healthy. We'll see you in the next episode. See you, everyone. Six, five, four, three, two, one.